Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. And so today we look at the Church of Philadelphia. And before I just get into this, let me just share real quick. The Church of Philadelphia was located in a really um, uh, prime spot. It was set up at this, at, this, um, at this center, which really connected Rome to all of the east. In fact, its nickname was a gateway to the east. So there was these five major roads that uh, uh, ran into Philadelphia from really Rome and then went into India and as far as, as China, including the Imperial Road from Rome. So this was a really important location. Uh, the king of Pergamum, King Attalus, had set this city up. Uh, in this location for a very specific purpose. He wanted his religion to be spread, and so he knew that if he could do that here, so many people had to pass through, which is quite interesting because you'll see that Christ is going to speak of great opportunities for ministries for this, for this church. But Philadelphia was located in this prime spot. Now, I want to just share this before we jump in, that if, if you were to ask me which one of these churches that we've worked through, which one of these churches on the day of, of the arrival of these letters that we have gone through, which church would I want to be at? It would be Philadelphia. <laughs> they receive no form of criticism. They receive no form of correction. They receive no form of condemnation from the Lord. Now, this is important to understand. This really hit me because Jesus, the last time we've seen red letters was when Jesus, just before he ascended. This is the first time we're hearing from the Lord like this since he's been resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father. This, this is different. Jesus is fully glorified, and he's, and he's next to the right hand of the Father, and he speaks over these churches, and he gives no form of correction. He only commends them, and there's one reason why, faithfulness. This was a faithful, faithful church, and I want to just speak a very simple message to you today on the faithful church. That's all I've entitled it. We've looked at the compromising church. We looked at the church that lost their first love. We've looked at the dead church last week in Sardis. But this is the faithful church. And the moment I saw that Jesus has no form of criticism for them, I want to know why. I want to look at this and I say, I want to be a church like this and I want my life to reflect this. And so we're going to, to dive in and see some of the truths of this church and some of the great blessings that God speaks over them because of their faithfulness. Book of Proverbs says is that it's hard to find a faithful man. And something that's hard to find, it's rare, it has value there's great value that God places on faithfulness and obedience. And if you were here before when we spoke about, um, I forget what church it was in, but I mentioned a man by the name of A.W. Tozer had said this quote. He said, uh, this isn't about perfection, but holy intention. No one here is perfect, not on this side of eternity, but God is interested and, and very pleased with men and women who have a holy intention to, to walk faithfully with. In other words, God, I'm imperfect. God, I make mistakes, but my heart's desire is to please you. My heart's desire is, is, is to commit my whole life to you. And that's what this church was. They were a faithful and obedient church. And I tell you what, God will do more with faithfulness than he ever will with talent. That's what, he, that's what he's about to show us in this. God will do more with someone who has affection rather than ability. Someone who honestly hungers for him, hungers for his presence, hungers to walk in the ways that he's laid out, 
God will do more through that life than someone who has the best communication skills, has all the resources in the world. So I want to speak life over you that as we'll see in this church, if you count yourself out from ever being used by God for whatever the reason may be, I want you to know if you're faithful and you're obedient to the Lord, which has given us everything we need to do that, God will use us. He will open up doors in our life that we could not even dream of. I believe in my heart that God wants to use you more than you could ever imagine. God wants to use this church more than we could ever imagine. If we would say, Lord, I'm going for this. I am going to walk faithfully with you, God. I believe God is going to open doors for this church and for us to be used in incredible ways. I want to be real clear with you regarding faithfulness, though, because sometimes we can, we can get lost in this and, and move from unhealthy motivations. But John 14, 23 says, I think it's 14.23. He says this. Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands, and my Father will love you, and we will come, meaning Jesus and the Father make our home with you. It's interesting. Normally when we go through that, we typically, typically would say that your obedience will prove your love for God. Now, there's some truth in that, but actually what's being said there is if you love God, the natural outpouring of that is you will obey and be faithful. The motivation for this is not trying to just do more things. It's as our hearts are gripped by him, it leads us into obedience. And amazingly, amazingly, Jesus says, and my father will love you. And what he's talking about is, you know that right before that, Judas, Judas asked the question, why do you only reveal yourself to us and not the world? And then Jesus' response is this, if you love me, you will obey my commands and my Father will love you, meaning he will openly display it. What he's saying is, when, when Judas says, how can you only reveal yourself to us and not the world? Jesus is saying, when you walk in obedience and love me, the grace of God, that favor of God will be so evident, that the fruit from that lifestyle will be so evident that I'm revealing myself through you and your faithfulness to other people. This is so, so important. So I want you to look with me in your Bibles at Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And we're going to look at the faithful church, the church of Philadelphia. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can look up on the screen. And this is what it says. These are the words of Jesus. It says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name, faithfulness. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you, just like we just shared in John. Jesus gives a great command. He says, when you walk faith with me, I am your vindicator. You don't, you don't need to fight your battles. I will fight them for you. Walk faithfully with me and trust in that. I wonder what that lifestyle would truly look like, that type of trust. In verse 10, he says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. That's not a form of judgment, but that's a form of deliverance. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Not eternal salvation. That's not what he's talking about. It's, it's really amazing. There's teachings on different types of crowns, rewards for faithfulness. 
And so he's not talking about losing salvation, but he's saying that, that there's crowns, there's rewards given for faithfulness. And that's what he's speaking to here. He says, the one who is victorious or overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on, the, on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I just want to share with you for a few moments here the faithful church and look at a few things that we can learn from the church of Philadelphia. And the first thing I want to share with you is before we can ever look at our call to be faithful, we have to see the faithfulness of Jesus. That's where it always starts. And every letter, like we've spoken with week after week, is initiated with Christ first coming to the church. And there's something that really struck me this week more than in the past. As we shared in the first week, if you were here, we talked about that there is a major theme that runs throughout the book of Revelation. You can get lost in all of the symbolic words and the apocalyptic literature that you can get lost in missing that the major theme is that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who is victorious. He conquered sin and death, and now he reigns victoriously, and he's coming back. The overcomer is coming back to establish his reign forever. There is a major theme that runs throughout Revelation of the, the victorious King Jesus who overcomes. And when he comes to these churches, if you notice, every single letter ends with to the one who overcomes. In other words, Jesus is fully committed to the church living out its purpose and its destiny as overcomers and as a victorious people. He desires, he longs for, he is faithful for us to live out our true identity, which is a victorious people. So he comes again and again with messages and words of encouragement or rebuke because he desires to live out the truth of who we are, which is we are a victorious people. So I want to first encourage you that Christ is deeply committed to you. Even if you don't know him, he's committed to you. That's why you're here. He wants you to be an overcomer. He wants you to be victorious. He wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to know that he is real, and he wants you to know that he's coming back. And the only way to be with him is faith in him. But he desires your destiny is to be an overcomer and a victorious person in Jesus Christ. He wants the best for you. Caesar, I got to give a shout out to Caesar in this. I'm working through the mess on Friday. He calls me, and he shared something with me that uh, so, so stirred my heart and is seen throughout these letters uh, that Caesar's a worship leader, in case you don't know. He's a, he's a, has the angel's voice. Uh, so he calls me, and we're talking about it, and he says, listen, isn't it amazing? I was sharing some things in my life. He says, isn't it amazing that this, what God's doing in your life, this hunger you have, it's only possible because Christ, has to, Christ first came to you. In other words, Christ stirred something. He first came to you, and that hunger is actually a response to what God is, is doing. In other words, when you start to look through the Bible, you realize that the grace of God is just crazy because he comes to all these churches when they're in sin or whatever it may be. And the only reason they have an opportunity to respond is because he first came to them. He comes to these churches and then not only does he come to them, the very things he asks them to do, he says, I'm going to empower you to do it. And then if you just simply say yes and surrender to that, in the end, I'm going to reward you and honor you for doing it. And you stop back and you step back and say, What? He comes to us, he empowers us to do it. We just say, Yes, I'll do it. And when we do it, in the end, he says, You are going to be honored and rewarded for this. That's incredible grace that God has towards our life. 
We see it in salvation, right? The plan of salvation took place before the foundation of the world. God already put that in place, that he wanted to save us. Then he comes to us, God initiates it, Christ accomplishes it. He comes to us and, and offers it to us. All he simply says is come into agreement with it, say yes and surrender to it. And if you do, I'm going to walk with you and empower you to live this life. And in the end, you're going to be rewarded with eternal life. And he's rewarding us when it's all him the whole single time. And so he comes to this church to do the very same thing. And what I love about these letters when you look at it is it reveals, it reveals the love of God for his church and for you personally. Not only does he come, which shows he gives his attention to the church, which shows his love, but he comes in such unique and personal ways with each and every church. He does not come the same way. Every way he comes to a church, he reveals a different part of himself because he is so intimately involved in each and every church. He knows exactly what they need. And I, I want to share this with you that God, Christ is the one that can see the multitudes and still see you. He knows everyone right here by name and what you need. Christ wants you to have a personal touch today. Christ wants to give you a word that is perfect for the season that you are in. He comes to each church with the right touch and the right word, exact, depending on exactly where they are. Do you know that when Jesus walked and he did healings, you'll see this in his life. Do you know there was one time he, he healed a servant of a Roman centurion? And you know how he did it? He didn't even go to the man's house. He just, he, he did it from a distance to show his authority. And you know why? Because the Roman officer knew, he knew that the Roman officer would be impacted by a man who walked with great authority. Because he says, when I, the Roman officer said, when I speak to my, to my soldiers, they just go and do it. So when Jesus just spoke it, and he saw that this man was healed, it deeply impacted him because it, it showed him the authority of Christ. Then he goes to a leper, and does he do the same for the leper? No. He touches the leper. Why? Because lepers were unclean. No one would touch them. This person may never have been touched their whole life, and yet Christ comes to this leper and touches him. He gives a personal touch. He deals so personally with each and every one of us. And I just know in my heart that that's what God desires even here today, every day of our lives. He wants to deal personally with us. He has a personal touch for you today, a personal word for you today. And here's the other thing I see as Jesus comes that I think is so important is that Christ doesn't come and just begin to tell them what to do. He first gives a revelation of who he is. And I think this is so important because before he ever gives reasons, he first gives revelation. I have come to find that what I really am in need of is not just more reasons as to why I need to follow God and trust in God. That's great, but what I really need is I'm in deeper need of revelations that so touch and grip my heart that I am forever changed. I am in need of God encounters that's what I need. That's what you need. And honestly, I, I, what I believe is that we can acquire knowledge, which is good. We can acquire facts. We can even acquire proofs of who Jesus is. But what the enemy doesn't want you to see is his preciousness. He does not want you to see his beauty. Look, we can talk about Jesus being life all day long. What he doesn't want you to do is encounter life. We can talk about Jesus being truth all day long. What he doesn't want you to see or encounter is truth himself. I really believe in my heart that if we're not careful, the church will be more built on informing than encountering. And so what we do is we leave people with minds that are appeased, but their hearts are still not arrested or affected by Jesus at all. 
So we have all this knowledge up here, but the reality is we have never been deeply touched or transformed. And what Christ wants to do here in this church and in our church and our lives is before he just gives us reasons, he wants us to, to have a revelation of who he is because that's what will deeply change us and cause us to follow him with all that we have. And if we're not careful, I really believe from what, I, what I've experienced is that we can set up so many processes for people to walk through that the one thing they never do is encounter Christ himself. They receive all of this information and walk through it, but they never experience Jesus himself, and therefore they never experience the deepest form of transformation. And Jesus comes to this church to reveal them, himself to them. Do you, do you know this? I'm just, I'm just going off on this now. This is something that's different, but uh, I just remembered when I was... Um, this week, I was, I was talking with a friend, and he shared something, talking about the power of encountering and not just receiving information. He, uh, he shared something on, uh, I think it was on Facebook, but it was, do you guys remember the, the, the man who was demonically possessed in the graveyard and could not be constrained, right? He couldn't be controlled, and they tried to chain him up, and he just would break the chains and, chains, and he was out of control. And then he has this encounter with Christ, and he's completely changed and rocked. So much so that he's in his right mind and he's clothed. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus sends him to this town. In other words, Jesus, to, to share the gospel, Jesus entrusts this man with the spiritual leadership of this town. This man never went through any type of principle or process. He had an encounter with Jesus. And this encounter was so deep and so transformative that he took a man who lived in the graveyard and said, you are going to now lead this city to come to know me. I want you to understand that it's not about information. It's about life exchange with Jesus. And when we have revelations of who he is, man, there's no limit to what God wants to do in our life or through us. But if we're not careful, we'll be satisfied with coming in, learning about Jesus, and going out in our lives are no different. So Christ comes to this church to reveal himself so that their hearts are gripped by that and their lives will never be the same. It's the same thing with Paul. The Apostle Paul, do you remember how many times, the Apostle Paul was a terrorist before he knew Jesus. And do you remember after he encountered Christ and his life was changed, do you remember how many times people would say, Paul, who do you think you are to share the gospel? Who do you think you are? You've never walked with the original. You, you, who are you? I mean, who's sending you? Who's your covering? And Paul would say, I have experienced and encountered the resurrected Christ, and my life is no longer the same. That is my basis. And I want you to know that one encounter with Jesus changes our life forever. And so Jesus comes and reveals himself to this church. He's not just giving reasons to them. He wants, he wants them to know something about himself. And this is what he says in verse 8. He says, he's the holy one, which means he's pure and separate from all sin. He's the true one. Jesus is the one true God, distinct from all others. He's not a copy. He's not, he's not manufactured. He's the original. And what he speaks is truth because it comes from his nature, who is the true one. You can count on it. In a day and age where truth is just fleeting, this is of great hope and encouragement to know that we serve the true one. When he speaks promises over our life, we can hold to them. We can shape our life according to those promises, not just because of the word, but because of the one who stands behind the word. His promises are so extravagant, he has to share that he's the true one or else we'll say there's no way this can happen. That's what I want. He's about to speak to this church. Listen to me. We're just going to share one point of this. He's about to speak to this church about a door that's about to be opened for them. And this is the most insignificant church. 
And they need to know that the one who comes to speak to them is the true one. He is going to do this because of their faithfulness. And I just believe in my heart that that's what God wants to speak over us as a body and personally. And that we'd say, yes, Lord, I believe this is available for me. Like, I believe you have things that I can't even imagine for me to walk through in this life. And so he's the holy one. In verse 8, it says he's the true one. And then he's the sovereign one. Because it says that he is the one who holds the key of David. And what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And that comes from a portion of scripture in Isaiah 22. It was dealing with King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah had one of his chief official leaders, Shebna, was a wicked leader. So God removed him and put a man by the name of Elikum in in position. He said, Elikum, you will have the key of the house of David on your shoulders. In other words, what it was speaking is you were going to have full access and authority and control over this earthly kingdom. And so Jesus is the picture and the true fulfillment of of the true king from the line of David. Jesus is pictured as the one who has full authority and control over the heavenly kingdom. He can open and shut doors to release kingdom activity. That's what he's speaking of. There's great authority. He has has the power to open prison doors. He has the power to break every chain. It's Jesus that we need to encounter. I don't know what you're in, doubt, shame, it doesn't matter. Jesus has the power to break that. He has the power to open any door to lead you into. He has the power to shut any door that's coming against you. Jesus has full authority, and he comes to this church. And so there's no doubt that their vision of Christ as exalted and awesome would just energize this church to be faithful. And look what it says in verse 8. He says, I know your deeds. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. So he tells this church, he tells them, why are they faithful? How are they faithful? He says, you've kept my word. What does that mean? They just have a word, a Bible by them? They just read it daily? That's important. No, no, no. They, 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 they shaped their lives according to the word. They, they followed the word. They, they, their hearts were devoted to not just hearing the word, but actually following and listening to it. They kept the word of God, and they did not deny the name of Jesus. They were faithful to his name in witnessing. This was a, a church that was engaged in, in kingdom activity. They were making the name of Jesus known, and they would not deny him. And so they're faithful to the word. They're faithful to Jesus and to, to the mission that the church has. And because of that, because of that faithfulness, because of that faithfulness, Christ makes the most incredible promise. There's something that I don't even know if I'll be able to communicate what God was speaking to me, but he was speaking just big vision over this church and over, over each and every one of our lives. There's more promise in this, but I may just stop on this one. But he says this, because of their faithfulness, in verse 8, he says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Now, the Bible speaks a lot about Christ opening doors, and there's different types of doors. But this one in particular was a door that was going to be uh, for ministry and for usefulness. I want to, can you put up Acts 14, 27? I want to show you what this looks like. Fourteen twenty-seven. I think I gave it to you before. Fourteen 
Bible? There it is. Look, it says, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, there's tons of scriptures like this. The point is, is that there, this is a door specifically that's, that's talking about new levels of influence and authority in, in ministering and sharing the word of God and being, being used to extend the kingdom. So Christ comes to this church and he says, look, he says, you have little strength. That's not speaking to spiritual strength. It's speaking to physical things. They were probably small in size, probably lacked many resources, probably had very little influence and were very insignificant within this church, within the city of Philadelphia. But Christ comes to them and speaks this incredible word that says, because of your faithfulness, Because of your faithfulness in the small things, because you were faithful what I've given you, I'm about to open a door of influence that you could never be able to walk through on your own. This door can't be accessed by your current resources. In fact, if you try to determine and try to calculate to to get to this place based on what you have, you would say it's impossible. There's no way you could ever predict of seeing this come to pass based on where you currently are. He's speaking incredible vision and destiny over this church. He's saying, you have no resources. Your size is little. You don't have what it takes, but you've been faithful. And because of that, I am about to open a door that is going to lead you into a place of influence and authority where you are going to touch many lives. But it was accessed through faithfulness. And I believe what God was sharing is that the vision of God for our life and for this church, it cannot be restrained or based on the size of the congregation. It can't be based on on the limitation of a location. It can't be based on the restriction of a budget. God is saying, listen, have big vision. Walk faithfully with me and believe that I want to open these doors, these supernatural doors that are going to allow you to have incredible fruit in ministry. I believe so much that there's so much more that God wants to do in and through us as a body and personally. And as we walk faithfully, we need to hunger for those doors. We need to hunger for the doors that only authority of Christ can open because I don't want to live a life of opening natural doors and a natural progression. I'm not interested in that. I want to live all that Christ has for me and for this church. And if we're going to do that, we're going to walk faithfully and we're going to see God open and do the miraculous in our life. And he says, no one can shut this door. I love that. No one can shut this door when this door is open. And here's the problem for me. I don't know if you can relate to this, is that when it comes to something like this, I honestly believe that the challenge in walking through things like this, walking through this big vision that God has for our life, is not choosing the complete opposite. It's choosing something that's good when he has something that's the best. That's the real challenge, I think, for me, and I don't know if you can agree with the same. Choosing verse good and evil is one thing, but God has doors he wants us to walk through, yet many times in my life I settle through these other doors because uh, uh, because of impatience and convenience but he wants us to walk through things that only, only he could take us, stuff that's going to take us so far beyond what, what we could ever do in our natural strength. But if, if we're going to go there, he says, you're going to have to be faithful to me. And I, listen, I shared something th- this week that on Facebook that so, God so deeply touched my heart this week, and I was spending time with him. 
I, I felt the strong conviction come over my life as I was with him. I just I felt so deeply convicted, and God was had me just kind of stay in this place. And he began to show me something that the conviction that I was feeling was not because of the way I was living. It was because of how I was not living. In other words, Christ was saying, there's more. There's more. I wasn't willfully engaging in sin. He said, what was convicting me is God was saying, you are living a life of good when I have more. I have more. Hunger for these doors to be open. I want to use you and the body like this. Don't stay in this place. Martin Luther once said this, which just so spoke to me when, when, I, when I was reading. It says, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. Let me share that again. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. When we pray, we're not, we're not trying to strong arm God into doing things. What we're doing is we're laying hold of his willingness to do more through us than we could ever imagine. If we say, God, I don't want to settle for these doors, God. I want to walk through what you have for me. And I just, this is what I want to share with you. We need to be a church, a praying church that says, Lord, don't let us settle for the good doors We want the doors that you are opening. We want the doors only the authority of Christ can open. God, we want to move and flow in all that you have for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. He shares other promises, but I just feel we're just going to stop here on this one. And I want to encourage everyone here to be a body that hungers, hungers, for the doors that only the authority of Christ can open. And I don't know what's ever been spoken over your life. I, I, I don't know how you see yourself, but I know that God wants to do so much in and through you. And I believe that oftentimes the greatest struggle and the greatest battle that we face is coming into agreement with how God sees us, who God is, and how he wants to use us. And just like this church, we could easily, have, as we heard God opening this door, say, there's no way, God, there's no way you can use me in any type of way like this. I, I, I don't speak that well. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I'm, I'm really, I don't have much to offer here. God, I, I see that, you know, I see some of these men and these women and, and use them in incredible ways, but that's not for me. But I'm telling you, their skills and talents doesn't access that. What you'll find, anyone that you look up to that you say, man, look at the authority and the anointing on that person's life, you will find one thing. They're faithful. They steward well what God has given them. It's God that's opening doors for them. And I want to share this before we just close. You could stand with me as we close. Before we could ever, ever walk into those doors, the first door... <laughs> Because we got to come to know who Jesus is. And I want to just share this for anyone who doesn't know who Christ is. If you were to go through the scriptures, you will find this incredible truth that Jesus, as we read today, has the authority to open all doors. He, I mean, he's the name above every name. And there's pictures throughout scriptures that show him, such as the one later on in Revelation, that can open the scrolls that reveal the Father's plans for the end. He's the only one who was worthy enough to do it. Only he could open it. He opens doors for ministry. He opens, he has the keys to to death in Hades. He has the door to the kingdom of life. He's the only one who has this authority to open doors. But with all of that authority, he will not just open the heart of a man. 
It is the only door that Christ, we'll see next later, will knock on the door, but he will not open it unless man comes into agreement and says, yes, Lord, I surrender my life to you. It's the most incredible thing with all of his authority. He will, he will empower us by his grace, but he will not overpower us. And I want to just share with you that if you don't know Jesus, he wants to come and dine with you. He wants to give you new life. He wants and desires that you would be an overcomer. He wants to use you in ways that you could never imagine. But he, he, wants to, he, he, he wants to use you in, in, in things that you just never believe were possible for your life. But the first step is to say, Lord, I come into agreement and allow the door of my heart to be opened up to you. I recognize who you are and I recognize my need for you. And I just want to, if you just bow your heads, I just want to pray for anyone in this room that might be in that place. that doors are closed. Lord, I thank you that you are so good that you come and you knock and you call and again and again and again. And I pray right now, Lord, for every person in this room, Lord, who has never, never said yes to that door being opened. God, I pray that they would see a revelation of you right now. Spirit, I pray you would open their eyes to see you for who you are, for what it is you want to do in their life. Lord, we don't come just to say a prayer in return. We're making commitments. And so I pray for those that are in this room that have never made that commitment, God. I ask, Lord, even right now, Lord, that they, they come into agreement with what the Spirit is speaking to them. Lord, that they say, have your way. Lord, I, I invite you, open this door, come in take control over my life. Lord, wash me clean. Lord, I give you permission to redirect my purpose in life, redirect my, my, my plans in life, re, redefine why it is that I'm living right now, change up my relationships, change up my workplace, change, change my daily routine. Lord, I give you permission, permission to have your way, Lord. And Father, I pray for everyone else in this room as a body. Lord, I pray that you would allow this word to just marinate in our hearts. That you have bigger plans than we could imagine. Lord, I pray that when we look at perhaps things where we see a lack of, we would know that's no problem for where you want to take us. God, I pray that we would truly be a faithful church. Father, we'd be such lovers of you that the natural place would just be just obedience, God. We want to walk with you no matter where it goes. Jesus, I ask that, that you would give us eyes of faith to see the doors that you want to open in our life, Lord. God, I pray for that one in this room right now who doesn't see how you could ever use them. who doesn't see how, how there's any potential or purpose for them. 
I pray, God, that you would just begin to just break down every lie and every barrier to that. And I pray that, that we would see and they would see that you have a supernatural life that you want them to live. Jesus, the only requirement is, is, is faith in you and walk in faithfulness, God. And you're going to lead us in that path, Lord. I thank you that you come to us, Lord, each and every week, each and every day. I thank you for your grace that calls us, that causes us, and even rewards us when we just say yes, Lord. And I pray our hearts would be stirred to faithfulness because of how faithful you are, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.